about you, but I feel like every day we're closer to the coming of the Lord. Amen. The way things are happening in our world, I feel like there's a lot of indicators that God's getting ready to come back for the church. Amen. And I believe, hallelujah, as the old timers used to sing on that great getting up morning. Amen. That all of us are going to be reunited with all of our loved ones that we've lost over the years and with saints of God that we don't know in foreign countries. It's going to be a great day, folks. God is a faithful God. How many of you can raise at least one hand today and say, God is a faithful God? Oh, what a mighty God we serve. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I also strongly believe that every day is a gift. Every day is a gift. I know sometimes we can lose perspective because we deal with trials and troubles of life, but every day that you wake up and you have breath, you should be able to spend some of that day giving God praise and glory, coming into His house, reading His Word, serving God and serving your fellow man. That's what you have done this morning by coming into the house of God. So I want to say thank you for coming and being here today. I want to say thank you to Brother and Sister Vaughn. God bless you guys for coming all the way from Colorado. Uh, they pastor in Colorado, and Brother uh, Jason Avant um, was raised in this church. And uh, he uh, texted me and said, I don't even know if I'd be in the church if it wasn't for Leroy and Irene Burroughs. Because when he was just a little bitty fella, amen, they used to watch him and take care of him when Sister Robin worked. And uh, during those formative years, amen, they were very impactful, uh, very impacting, rather, his life and Amber's life and, and I just want to say thank you for remembering that all these years later and making the sacrifice to come back here and be here and be away from your church this Sunday. Amen. The wonderful thing about being a part of the family of God, folks, is that it just continues on and on and on. You're not, you're not looking around here at fair weather friends. You're looking at brothers and sisters that will be with you through thick and thin. And that's not a given in our society thankful for the family of God. John chapter 6 and verse 1, we continue uh, in our series that we started on Easter morning of the message in the miracles, the message in the miracles, and we have been going through the book of John, and we have been talking about these different miracles that Jesus did, and, and really, what is the message in these miracles? What is it that Jesus was communicating through each one of these miraculous signs? Let's start in John chapter 6. In verse 1, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, the Sea, the sea of Tiberias. A great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him. He saith unto Philip, When shall... We buy bread that these may eat. And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. <laughs> Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. 
one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. That was the very first doggy bag. How many of you ever gone to a restaurant and they came and said, you can't eat it all, do you want to take it with you? If it's really good, you'll take it with you, won't you? <laughs> well, I tell you, if the Lord's multiplying it, you don't want to leave any of it for the ants. He said, go and take it that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. I want to talk to you this morning on this subject, the satisfying Savior. How many of you know God doesn't skimp and just give you little portions? He's going to satisfy you, and there's going to be some left over. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, why don't we lift our hands and our voices right now. Would you give thanks to him? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you're still a prayer-answering God. You are a miracle worker, Lord. There is nothing that is beyond your reach and your touch. Pray, God, that you would multiply your power, multiply your presence, Lord, upon your people today. In the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. One of the fascinating features of Christ's earthly ministry was his way with crowds of people. Over and over again, we find him followed by multitudes, speaking to multitudes. There's something about Jesus and even about Christianity as a whole that crowds are drawn to this message. It is true, of course, that the salvation experience is an individual encounter. God does not save people in mass. People enter the kingdom one by one. But yet, even in the midst of that, Christ also appeals to the crowds. I have enjoyed being a part of crusades and conferences both here and abroad and had my face sore as I've seen thousands of people gather in arenas and soccer stadiums and the presence of God fall upon them. But yet, each individual, even in that kind of a setting, each individual is being ministered to on a personal basis by the Word of God. I have uh, seen people walk with God for a short time and then not see them for a few weeks. And when I inquired... They said, Pastor, we were coming, we enjoyed the church service, but when you started talking about my smoking habit, I didn't think it was right that you revealed to the whole church that I was struggling with smoking. I said, I had no idea that you smoked. 
They said, you didn't? No. I can't tell you the number of times things like that have happened. It's because God has the ability to take biblical principles and personalize them for each and every one of us. It's what's so unique about our Savior. He can draw thousands, if not millions, and yet be a personal friend that sticketh closer than a brother. What a mighty God we serve. In the story that is before us, we have an outstanding illustration of our subject. The feeding of 5,000 is recorded in each of the four Gospels, Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, and John 6. And when reading each account, you get a full picture of this miracle. But the main points, I believe, are before us in the Gospel of John. The first thing that I would like to call to your attention is the attraction of Christ. A great multitude followed him. A great multitude followed him. That's what we read in chapter 6 and verse 2. There was something about the Lord Jesus which attracted people. Mark had a beautiful line in his record which reads, and I quote, They came to him, referring to the Lord Jesus, from every quarter. From every quarter. I mean from every little hamlet. From every little village. They came to him. Even though his enemies, the Jewish leaders, despised him and eventually rejected him, they could not stop the common people from converging on him whenever they had an opportunity. As we study the Gospels, we see three things that I believe created this attraction of Christ. And the reason that it's important is because I believe these three things are still with us today. First of all, Christ's magnetism, his magnetism. The people followed him, Luke 9, 11 says, and he received them. I believe that a little child's reaction to a person is a good test of that person's character. And there was something very relevant about that truth in the way that children were drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Children love to run into his arms, and we even tried to communicate that in our Messiah drama. They just literally would run to the master. We see that over and over. In fact, there were some points where the disciples tried to sort of do crowd control and push the children away. And what did the Lord do? He rebuked them. And he suffered that they would come unto him. He didn't, he didn't want the children to be shielded. And he didn't want them to be viewed as an intrusion. But this is the way that the Lord, I believe, revealed this, this warm part of his nature and his character. Even sinners found it easy to come to him and to tell him their problems and to seek his help. Help. This attraction to Christ was evident in the case of individuals as well as the multitude. In him, people saw this irresistible quality of grace and this irresistible quality of truth. Hearts responded to the grace with its warmth and to the truth that he just exuded with its strength. And Jesus prophesied from John 12, and he said this, and I quote, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men nigh unto me. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe people ought to be comfortable. I believe people ought to be comfortable, even if they're not where they need to be with God. They ought to be able to talk to a Christian, hallelujah, and we ought to be able to make them feel comfortable enough to share the gospel. My wife and I were in a coffee shop this past week with another uh, pastor and his wife, and there was a fellow sitting there next to us, and we just struck up a conversation with him and started talking to him about the Lord and told him 
we were ministers and all this, and he just started sharing. He said, you know, I'm not, I'm not where I need to be, you know, with the Lord. But he said, you know, I, I am hungry. And he reached down inside of his shirt, and he, and he pulled out a, a, a cross that he had around a necklace, and he said, I, I, I knew that I, I needed, to, needed to get this. And, and, and I wear it around my neck, and wherever I go, you know, he said, whenever I, I take a bath, I'm still wearing it. He said, I'm always got this cross on me. And we got to talking with him, and, and boy, he just started opening up, and we just started talking with him about life and and about what the Lord, you know, does in our life and share and all that. And we talked for about an hour, and after an hour, he said, I'll have to tell you guys something. He said, I had never found Christians that I felt so comfortable talking to. Boy, I said, that's the highest compliment you can pay somebody. I think we ought to be able to touch base. It don't matter if it's in a coffee shop or on our jobs or in our schools. Uh, there ought to be something about a man or a woman of God, hallelujah, that whenever they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, there ought to be something that draws even a sinner to a saint of God. The next thing I believe was Christ's message. The people, it says in the book of Luke, followed him and he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God. He spake unto them. Now they came, he received them, made them feel warm and welcome. But then he spoke about, this, this is an important thing. Once you have the opportunity to sit down and talk with somebody, at some point, it ought to move from politics and sports. It ought to move to the message. The gospel of Jesus Christ. People have always flocked to listen to a man with a real message. And such was the significance, the authority, and the challenge of the Savior. His words that people heard. It didn't matter where the people were at, great or small, simple, educated, they all thronged him. And they discerned a difference between him and the scribes and the Pharisees. And the Bible says this in Luke 4, they wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. On one occasion when soldiers were sent to apprehend him, they turned and went back. And when they were asked for a reason, their reply was, never man spake like this man before. That we find in John chapter 7. Why is it? What was it that was children ran to him and soldiers that went to apprehend him had to go back? Something about his message. Here was a man who had something to say. And he said it with such authority that it rang a bell in the souls of men and women. It was something that just went off. They knew instinctively that this was a word from heaven. Something that could not be denied. And it arrested their soul and arrested their spirit. Preaching of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, is based on the simple principle of declaring what thus saith the word of God. We insist on competing with psychiatrists as counselors, with physicians as healers, with politicians as statesmen with philosophers as speculators, then these areas of expertise have every right to tell us what to preach. But if we will just preach the Word of God, what thus saith the Word of God? Ladies and gentlemen, it is still the anointing of the Holy Ghost that breaks the yoke of sin. It is still the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus that draws us to Christ. Minister's message must be based on, thus saith the Lord. And if it's not, to quote an old preacher, a sermon is good for nothing. But it's 
be cast out and trodden underfoot if it does not explain the plan of salvation. It's not old-fashioned, ladies and gentlemen, to declare the word. It is the word that is the answer to the cry of the heart. It is the word of God that is the answer to the ills and problems and diseases and trials and troubles of a nation. It is the word of God that is the roadmap for our life, for you and your neighbor and your friend and your family and the city of Palm Bay and Sebastian and Satellite Beach and Mavard County and the state of Florida and the United States of America and the world. Jesus Christ is the end. Just one glimpse, one taste, one touch of the freedom of salvation and the captivity of sin is in retrieval. Nations that try to keep their citizens bound in communism can't compete with the freedom of the Western world once they are exposed. It's like trying to unring a bell. It's like trying to get the genie back in the bottle. I went to China. They're still trying. They knew they had to open up economically to compete with the world. So China has been open economically to the Western world, but yet they're still trying to keep control in all these other civil rights areas and freedoms. And it's just not working. I talked with one young person after another, one young couple after another when we were in China. Of course, we saw an incredible revival going to these underground churches and nearly 300 people being filled with the Holy Ghost. But even when we were just talking with people as they were doing tours and whatnot, the Forbidden City and all these other places, China Wall and all that where we, that we did when we were over there, one of the things that I saw over and over and over again was that China was in trouble. The people had had a taste of what it is to be free. And once people have got a taste of it, it doesn't matter if it's freedom from communism or if it's freedom from sin, once people have got a taste of what it is to live in a world where their soul can breathe, in a place where their spirit can breathe. I'm going to tell you what, you can't ever go back to captivity. Once you've been touched by the power of God, you can't go back to the captivity of sin. Something within you that pulsates, that strives for more of that. This is what the message of Jesus Christ does breath of life in the people, not necessarily bad, evil intentioned people. They just don't know any other way. Never been exposed to it. Their perception of church is something maybe they saw on TV or some experience that a relative had. They just don't know what to do. But oh, if they can get in the presence of a God, of a Savior, and the message of His Word can go forth and all on good ground. Ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing that can stop it. There was something about Christ's magnetism, something about his message, and then there was something about the miracles of Christ. A great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseed. Here he did. One, he spoke, but then he didn't. He not only spoke, but he acted. He acted. A great theologian by the name of Nicodemus came to see him one night, looking into his face. He said, Master, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. In other words, he was saying there is authority not only in your message, but in your miracles. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for the true church of Jesus, you're looking for the church that not only preaches the gospel, the book of Acts, and the New Testament scriptures, but if you're looking for a true church, if you're looking for a church, people sometimes say, how do we know what, what's the right church to go to? There's so many churches. I tell people, well, read the book of Acts and then find the church that's the closest to the book of Acts that you can find. Because that was the very first church that Jesus started as the earthly ministry of the church of the living God would then take from his earthly ministry. And so it started there in the book of Acts. And of course, through the years and all, things have gone this way and that way. But we have the Bible in front of us. We have the model. So I say today, if people got the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts, they ought to be getting the Holy Ghost in your church. If people were healed in the book of Acts, he ought to be able to still work his miraculous power where two or three are gathered together in his name. People shouted. People worshipped. People clapped their hands or people lifted their voice. If people reached out to their brother or sister in need, that's the church in the book of Acts. But then we also see this. The Lord told his followers, signs and wonders shall follow them that believe. We believe that signs and wonders ought to be a part of the New Testament church. The miracle of salvation. The miracle of divine transformation. The miracle of sustained repentance. The gospel has an attraction, yes. It has that element to it. But ladies and gentlemen, that's only the beginning. It's whenever you know that you can walk with God in the midst of a trial, in the midst of trouble, you can still get up every day and say, I believe my God is faithful. I don't know where the answer's coming from, but I know that my God has never forsaken me. Not one day. Not one moment. That's a miracle. You think back right now over your life, how long ago it was that you were saved. And when you first got saved, you never thought you'd make it 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 50, 60 years. But here you are in 2016. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a miracle that you're here. Some of you, like me, can tell stories of cheating death. You should have died a long time ago. I should have died a long time ago on Interstate 75 when I was hit by a drunk driver and flipped two and a half times in the air on a rainy night on Interstate 75 and my car was totaled and crushed and I crawled out of that car and it was flattened and totaled and crawled through broken glass and never even had a cut on my hand, never even went to a hospital, never even had a bruise and was never even sore. And the Lord said, I called you to preach the gospel and it's not over yet. I've come to tell you, he's still a miracle-working God. You've ever felt the touch of God in a midnight hour. I've come to tell you today, it's still the same God. He has kept you and sustained you all these years. Not only... Is it the attraction of Christ that makes him a satisfying Savior? But it's the compassion of Christ. Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him. We read in Matthew and Mark, and then when Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. The word compassion means to 
enter into another's deep anguish, to feel sympathy, to have pity. One authority has pointed out that it conveys the idea of getting into the skin of another. This is the way the Lord Jesus felt about individuals and multitudes. Because his compassion was born of vision. Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great multitude coming to him. Here was one who saw men and women as no one else saw them. When he lifted up his eyes, he saw them not so much as a crowd, but as individuals. Ladies and gentlemen, in a world where everything is measured and identified by the depersonalization of numbers, I've come to remind you today that God is a personal Savior. He sees you and me, not as part of a mass, but as individuals with unique problems and potential. He sees not what you are, but what you can be. He sees you as no one else has ever seen you before. And his vision that has reached to you today is born of compassion. He loves you even before you took your first breath. David said he knew me in my mother's womb. But not just vision. It is also born of passion. For we read in Mark 6, 34, Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them. Jeremiah says, mine eye affected mine heart. A person who really sees human need feels human need. The multitudes who followed him recognized that Jesus not only saw them, but he loved them. It wasn't just a natural vision. It was more than a spiritual vision. He loved them. His heart went out to them in tenderness. Jesus, he had ears that were somehow specially trained that he could hear a beggar's cry above the shouts of the crowd. He could feel whenever a little lady with an issue of blood touched the hem of his garment. He could hear blind Barnabas on the wayside screaming, Son of David, have mercy on Among the first glimpse that we see of our God, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, is that he is a God who is a seeker. Because all the way back in Adam, Adam's day, way back in Genesis chapter 3, he went seeking for Adam. And she said, Adam, where art thou? As though God, as a broken-hearted father, is looking for a lost it would do us little good, ladies and gentlemen, if God was just all-powerful without compassion. The fact is that the creator of the universe is also the king of compassion. One fellow said it this way, he's not just a great God, he's a good God. He's not just a great God, he's a good God. It's one thing to have power and authority, it's another thing to have compassion. I'm so thankful that he had compassion. How many of you can raise your hand today and say, thank God he had compassion on us. He had compassion on us. The Bible said he is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Ladies and gentlemen, he is touched by your plight and your predicament, just like he is mine. And when there was a need, God responded to the need. That was the compassion of Christ. That was the attraction of now let's talk for a moment about the provision, the provision of Christ. 
When Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And Matthew and Mark and Luke, Jesus said, Give ye them to eat. He not only saw them, he not only felt for them, but thank God he has the power to do something about it. Amen. It's one thing for people to have compassion for you. It's another thing for them to have compassion and capacity. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> to have compassion and capacity. I feel for you, and I'm going to do something about it. Good God Almighty. This was Jesus. These words spelled out not only his redemptive compassion of Christ, but also his practical concern for men and women. After all, the master had taken time with his disciples for refreshment and fellowship. Why should he now bother with the thronging crowds at this time? Surely they could wait for a more appropriate occasion. That was not how Jesus thought. His compassion led him to action. So let's explore this for just a moment. First of all, it was a merciful provision. When shall we buy bread that these may eat? These people had seen that the Lord Jesus was now leading his disciples away to a solitary place across the lake for a time of relaxation and rest. A little R&R. It was a time to sort of recapture true perspective. But the people outraced Jesus and his disciples around the lake. And arrived before the ship reached the other side. Not one or two, but at least 5,000 men. Can I stop for just a moment and say, once you come in contact with your true Messiah, Jesus Christ, there is nothing that will stop you from getting to his feet. They race around on the other side, and there are at least 5,000 men, plus the women, plus the children. I can just see this crowd. Come on, Junior. Running. Mothers pulling kids. And they were tired and hungry. The disciples did not appear to have observed this. But Jesus made a, a thoughtful provision. Looking upon the multitude, he says to Philip, we must feed the crowd. When shall we buy bread? Now, Philip, the mathematician, began to work it out in terms of 200 penny worth. I don't know if he took a survey of all the money that the disciples had, but somehow he came up with a budget in a short period of time. We have 200 penny worth and this crowd. Jesus says this, but what was that among so many? Then Andrew, looking for a solution, and the Lord just let him go. He already knew the solution. Andrew pointed out that there was a lad with a few loaves and fishes, but how could that ever be stretched to feed such a crowd? Jesus, knowing what he would do, in his provision, there was this forethought and there was this faithfulness. Then it moves us to not just a merciful provision, but a multiplied provision. You see, here's the way God works. 
God never just repays you what you've done for him. It always comes back multiplied. The Bible says, press down, shake it together, and run it over. Now, can I tell you for just a moment, that's not how the world works. I was in the airport yesterday in Costa Rica, and I was hungry. And I went to a, one of them little Quiznos sub shops in the airport, and I said, uh, I'd like to get this uh, wrap. My wife had said, whatever you get, just get for me. She's guarding the luggage. And so I went over there, and I looked into the glass, and there were these chicken wraps that looked like they were stuffed full of chicken. And I'm not exaggerating this one iota. I bought two chicken wraps, two little bags of Dorito chips, and one water that had a red parrot on the front of it. Because they told me we couldn't bring water on the plane, so I figured between this, my wife and I, we could drink one water and get it down before the plane left. The man said that would be $29. Yes, he did. We put it in a bag, went back to where my wife was guarding the luggage. We ate the chips, left the sandwiches. She said, I'd rather get somewhere where, you know, there'll be some more to drink. Once we get on the plane, they'll give us something to drink. So we waited. Once we got up in the air and the flight attendant started milling around, we opened up the sandwiches. I opened up my sandwich, expecting to have a chicken wrap stuffed full of chicken. But they have learned how to present it where it looks like something much different than it is in actuality. Because once I opened it up, and I opened up the chicken wrap, all of the chicken had been stuffed to the front. And there was like three or four pieces at the front, and a little tiny piece of like five-day-old cheese. And everything back here was just the wrap folded in 12 directions. And I ate it and I was still hungry. <laughs> Chips didn't do any good. All made to look like it's going to be satisfying. But it always leaves you hungry for more. But there is one. There's no false advertisement with Christ. He can satisfy your every need. And ladies and gentlemen... If you eat at that table, the table that is spread where the saints of God are fed, if you eat at that table, there's going to be baskets left over. It's going to be multiplied. It will spill over and affect your family and your friends and your finances. Would you stand to your feet this morning? It is a multiplied provision. multiplied provision. It's not minimum, it's maximum. And the Bible says that what we have here on this earth is just a taste of what it's going to be like one day, ladies and gentlemen. One day when we walk on streets of gold. Streets of gold. Just think about that for a moment. Walls of jasper. Gates of pearl. 
mighty God we serve. What an extravagant God we serve. Jesus will multiply. I don't know what you came here today in need of, but I know that if you're a human being and you're breathing air today, then you have a need. You may not even be able to recognize it yet, but you have a need. And ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you that the Lord will answer not just your need, but he will go above and beyond. But always remember this, multiple, multiplication must always start with subtraction. It's the picture of Calvary. The fact that he gave his life so how salvation could be multiplied to the masses. It's whenever you bow a knee in humility and you say, I'm going to kill my pride, but I'm going to come to him. It's only then that he can multiply. But it starts with subtraction. It starts with denying yourself. It starts with saying, Lord, take everything out of my heart and everything out of my life that doesn't belong so that you can multiply your mercy, so that you can multiply your blessings. I remember whenever I was a kid, we used to sing an old song, and it used to go something like this. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only he can change your attitude and make you whole. He'll give you peace you never experienced. Sweet love and joy and heaven feel like singing right now. Would you close your eyes? Only Jesus can satisfy your That's it. Lift up your voice and sing it. Only Jesus, hallelujah, can satisfy your soul. Only you can do it, Lord. Only He can cleanse your heart and make you whole. Oh, we worship you. Hallelujah. He'll give you peace. He'll give you peace. Hallelujah. altar is open this morning as they sing this song once again why don't you step out from where you're standing 
Why don't you make your way down to this altar right now? Why don't you let the Lord minister to you? Come on, he wants to multiply his mercy into your life. He's got provision for you. He's got compassion for you. He knows where you are this morning. He knows what you're facing. He is the solution. He is the answer for every problem. He'll give you peace. You never do. Oh, yes, Lord. Reach out to him. He'll meet you where you are. We worship you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. You are my strength and my song, Lord. 